0: vampires and slayers this is mixtress ray and you're listening to what's this bitch talking about to which the answer to that question is every episode of buffy the vampire slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date which means today we're talking about once more with feeling and uh offspring the angel episode so let's just start with that The um, episode description, according to Nikki Stafford's episode guide on Angel, which is called, what is it called? Once Bitten. Darla arrives in L.A. and announces to Angel that he's about to be a father, which disappoints Cordelia and worries Wesley. Weird description. Okay, underlined this part because I didn't quite understand this situation you know like in the episode like we see that like they're forcing some sort of like feelings between Angel and Cordelia particularly from Angel towards Cordelia which I don't know why they're fucking doing that but they are and um, the way that Nikki Stafford um, frames it is not the way that I understood it but I'm just going to I'm just going to put that out there Um, So this is what she says. Angel had earlier reassured Cordelia that nothing had happened between him and Darla. And after he spent the last several months regaining Cordy's trust, it's gone in an instant when she realizes he's betrayed her. So if that is actually what's what's meant to be going on here, I understand her reaction. But in the context of the episode, it's like, in the very beginning of the episode, they're showing Cordelia and Angel training together again and like they were in the last episode and then they show um like some fred is just sort of like insinuating to angel that like of course you guys would have feelings for each other you're both heroes and blah 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 and he's like i don't have feelings for cordelia and then he just starts getting all weird and like he's looking at her differently and she's like why are you looking at me weird and then darla comes in and she's heavily pregnant as we know cuz we've seen the <laughs> we've seen the the little thing the scenes with her in it what what words um so we know but this is when he finds out she's heavily pregnant she comes in Cordelia's like uh how is this possible you said nothing happened between the two of you and suddenly she's like jealous or something But I mean, she's understandably angry because he lied to her and because if you remember in season two, Angel was a real fucking dick, like almost the whole season because he was obsessed with Darla. And then there was that super rapey moment where they had sex that she was clearly into, but it was very, it was very scary sex for sure. And that's how Connor was conceived. So we don't obviously know that his name is Connor yet, but... So she comes in the door, and Cordelia immediately, like, switches from, like, she's... She's obviously angry at Angel for lying to her, but then she immediately switches into super hyper-protective mode of Darla, like, simply because she's pregnant? Like, I just thought that was weird, that, like, what... It's like the character of Cordelia was subsumed by just like sort of this maternal instinct taking over to take care of Darla, the pregnant woman. And like, that was just, I thought that was strange. Anyway, let's see. Let's look at my notes. Oh, there's like all these fucking flashbacks. There's so many flashbacks in the angel show, all these fucking flashbacks. So we see like Holtz again, And I think he's been introduced already so far. Um, Angel Angel and Darla killed, like, his entire family. And now he's, like, on a mission of vengeance. And so he's, like, chasing Angel all over the world. Back in the day. Hundreds of years ago. When Angel and Darla were still a thing. And, whatever. I'm so bored, I don't care. (laughs) Um... At one point, like there was this one scene where it looked like Cordelia was wearing a wig, but the rest of the episode, she didn't look like she was wearing a wig. So I don't know if maybe they just had to reshoot a scene later when she didn't have that hair anymore. But it's really, really bad haircut. It's like one of those like really, really short, wispy, blunt bangs things that they were doing in the very early 2000s slash late 90s sometimes with, like, chunky, but not really chunky highlights. Do people, people don't do highlights anymore, do they? I hope not, because that was just, I don't know, it was bad. It was bad. Um, (laughs) let's see, where are we? There's some kind of prophecy that they're working off of that has something to do with, like, I think it's the Shanshu prophecy again? I'm confused, because they keep referring to the Shanshu prophecy, So I think that that's the prophecy, but there's some sort of like new part of the prophecy or else it's a different prophecy that says something about like an evil that's going to come onto the earth and they have reason to believe once Darla shows up that the evil that's could possibly be Angel's child. I don't know why specifically they think that, but they do whatever. Um, I I do like when Cordelia yelled at Angel and said, you used her to make you feel better during a dark time. Because he was saying something about like his excuse for having sex with Darla was that, you know, it was a very dark time for him or whatever. And that's true. That is exactly what he did. Not to say that like Darla is a good person or anything, of course. Um, Angel twice suggests that, I don't know what, Oh, like he's in denial that she's even pregnant or something. And he says something like maybe it's a hysterical pregnancy. Maybe it's hysteria, something like that. He's reacting really strangely. Like this is out of character for angel. Like normally angel would immediately be reacting with, Oh my God, I might be a father. Like, Oh shit. And he would be broody and he would be taking charge and he would be like kind of confused and he might run away or whatever, but he wouldn't be just like, Standing around making excuses and like, it's just, it was weird. It's a weird situation. Okay. Uh, Scourge of mankind. They need to go see, they went, they go to see Lorne to see what he has to say since he's, you know, an oracle. They're back to calling him the host. I'm not sure if they even refer to him as Lorne in this episode, but he's referred to as the host several times. And I'm like, why are we back to this? We know his name. Like, calling him the host is so weird and confusing um Cordelia's just you know being really doting on Darla she's alone in a room with her at one point and Darla latches onto her neck because she's like eating everybody in sight (laughs) because she's so hungry because she's pregnant um she's eating for two um and then she goes to like I don't know some like arcade David Buster's type situation. And she wants to feed on a little boy, but Angel saves the little boy just in time and their theory. And then Angel gets like this close to staking her, but then he hears the heartbeat of his child. And he's like, oh, I can't. This child has a heartbeat. Therefore, this child has a soul. I can't kill you because then I'd be killing my child. And then he suddenly decides, okay, I'm going to be a daddy. <laughs> also, the the implication here, like I'm probably reading too much into it. But, you know, saying, oh, the baby has a heartbeat. Therefore, the baby has a soul. That is a little too, and they might not have meant it this way. But that feels a little too on the nose for me for, like, arguments that anti-choicers make. You know what I mean? So that felt icky to me. But, I mean, I get it in the context of the show. Like, he was probably assuming this was kind of some kind of demon offspring, some kind of vampire baby, which had never been conceived before because vampires can't conceive children. They can only sire other humans to turn them into vampires. Um, But this is some miraculous... (laughs) vampire baby but then when he realizes it has a heartbeat then it's not a vampire obviously i mean i guess in the lore of the buffy verse it could still be some kind of demon because demons sometimes have heartbeats i think whatever anyway that's it that's all i wrote for my notes for this episode i really don't i mean i don't mean to be disrespectful if if like this is This is a lot of people's favorite season of Angel, I think. Um, And there have been some good episodes so far. But I do not like the Connor storyline. Just pretty much since the beginning, I don't like it. I don't need to see Angel be a daddy. I don't need to see vampire daddy Angel. It's not... It's not something I hope for. So, with that said, I'm gonna shut the fuck up about Angel now. Let's talk about Once More With Feeling, shall we? The musical episode. Like, I was really looking forward to it, but I didn't take that many notes. It's, I don't know, it's it's hard to talk about this episode. Um, I am not a musical person in general, but I do like this episode because it's, you know, it's unique. And it's, um, to have a musical episode. I mean, I guess a lot of people do musical episodes these days but um it wasn't something that happened all the time back in 2001 so it was it was an event you know um i i think i just watched it in the same context that i watched every episode of buffy which was by myself at like 1 or 2 in the morning at my mom's house on her tivo at the time um but you know so it wasn't like a big event for me but i didn't get to celebrate it in a big way cuz i didn't have friends that watched buffy <laughs> but um i yeah, it was, it was enjoyable. I know all of the songs by heart. I have the soundtrack on my iPod. (laughs) Even still, like I was, um, I was putting together a new piece of furniture and like making room and rearranging and reorganizing stuff last week or this week. It was Wednesday and it is now Saturday. So still this week, right? And, um, I was shuffling my entire iPod and yes, I still have an iPod. (laughs) And several times and I have my music library is pretty big but several times shuffling my entire music library on my iPod I um, came across a couple of different a couple of different songs from this musical but um, yeah I'm gonna go ahead and pause and like read the episode guide entry and see if there's anything I want to share with you from there I'll be right back okay I don't think I really want to say anything about, like, what's in the actual episode guide, um, but I will read the episode description. Sunnydale is taken over by a singing and dancing demon, and everyone begins expressing their innermost thoughts through song. So there you go. Yes. (laughs) Um, I don't know what to say about this episode. It is... I mean, the biggest reveal is just that, um, you know you know everybody's pain comes out like except Willow because apparently Allison Hannigan was insecure about her singing voice so she kind of like refused to sing um and not that much came out about Dawn either she started to sing and I'm always sad that you don't get more of Dawn's song in the episode guide um Nikki Stafford says that Michelle Trachtenberg refused to sing a full song for Whedon and knowing what we know now that she felt really uncomfortable around Joss Whedon and this is the only episode in the entire season's entirety of season six that Joss Whedon writes and, and directs. like the only time he's around during season six is just for this musical number which would have taken a lot more time than a normal episode so I'm sure he was still around for a chunk of time because he was working on this musical like it said in the episode guide that he wrote he took six months to write the musical and the actors took three months to take like voice lessons and shit or something like that I don't know. I guess Alison Hannigan just refused to do it, and Don also refused to do an, a whole song. Michelle Trachtenberg refused to do a full song for Whedon, according to that episode guide. So maybe she was just like, "No, bitch." She probably wanted to work with the choreographers because she did she did ballet. She did a ballet number basically. Um, but I, I've always been sad that because her her song, I almost want to sing it. <laughs> Does anybody even notice? Does anyone even care? (laughs) Obviously. Not as good as when she did it. But it's like, it starts off just so fucking sad. And like, I'm there for the minor chords. I'm there for the sad ballads. And since this entire musical is a sad musical, um, I do really like it. Even though I've never really liked any other musical ever. It's just not for me. Um, But yeah, and there are some points that I cry at. So let's just go through everybody's sort of revelations. Like you don't really find out anything about Dawn. You don't find out anything about Willow other than through other characters. Tara finds out that Willow did that spell on her at the end of the last episode. And she decides she's leaving. Um, She hasn't told willow yet but um giles realizes that he needs to leave because he's enabling buffy um and buffy reveals to everyone that she was in heaven xander and anya reveal to each other that they're really scared to get married and is that is that everything i think that's everything (laughs) oh like spike basically says to Buffy in his song to her that like he'd like her to stop visiting his grave unless she decides like in his mind it's like I guess he's perceiving the fact that she keeps coming to hang out with him as like okay is she gonna fuck me or not like what's she doing here I guess that's the way he's viewing that but um he wants her to decide he thinks that she's flirting with being bad and she just hasn't made the decision yet or something Okay, so let's just go into my notes. So the episode opens with just like a musical, it's like a an instrumental like intro or whatever, whatever you call that. Um, and everybody's just kind of getting up in the morning. Buffy's alarm clock is going off. It's like this big comical, like, you know, with the bells on the sides, red alarm clock. Like, I don't think we've ever seen that before but she picks it up and she just stares at it and she's just holding it and staring at it and not turning it off. So I think that like the, the little moments of displaying her sort of apathy towards life right now and her disconnection towards life, I think, I think are really well done in a lot of ways. Like that, that little thing is just such a little thing. You know, they only showed like, a couple seconds of it. They showed her picking up her alarm clock as it was going off. And then like a couple of, I don't know, 30 seconds later or something, they show her again. She's still holding the alarm clock and it's still going off. So it's just a little touch, but it's just like, you know, if you are, if you are depressed and you're sort of disconnected from, you're not feeling joy in daily life anymore. Like just something like picking up your alarm clock and staring at it and being sort of frozen and not turning it off. seems like, I don't know, for some reason that's just, that's effective to me. It tells me immediately like, yeah, she's still real fucking depressed just so you guys know. Um, so that's happening. Dawn and Willow are both just sort of like running around getting ready in the morning and, um, Tara's making the bed and she finds the little, the little dried up flower thing that Willow used as part of the spell to make Tara forget. Okay. So here's something that I never really thought about before. So the spell that she did on Tara in the last episode, because she wanted her to forget that they were having a fight. She picked up that little dried flower from her dresser and she did the spell real quick which means as we will see later when tara looks up that particular flower in a book and it's called Lath's bramble which i think is just like a tv thing i don't think it's a real name of a thing it's probably like based on some kind of like greek mythology or something or shakespeare knowing joss motherfucking whedon but i'm not gonna look that up but anyway since, you know, Tara looks it up later and she finds that that particular plant is used in spells for mind control, um, and spells of forgetting or something like that. Um, so that means that Willow had this particular dried herb slash flower on her dresser just in case she would need to control someone's mind which what are the implications there does it mean that she's done this before does that mean that she was premeditating like she knew that like this shit was kind of building with Tara and that at some point Tara was going to speak up and that they were going to have a fight and that she might need to she just had that ready she was ready ready to go you know um so heartbreaking anyway (laughs) where were we (laughs) um so that just like opening scene is just like everybody kind of getting ready in the house and what else do we have um then everybody's kind of at the magic box later just hanging out while Dawn's at school and Buffy another just like kind of subtle touch I mean it's easy this one's like probably easier to uh, to view as being a symptom of depression than maybe her staring at her alarm clock for people but I'm not sure I ever noticed the alarm clock thing before this particular time watching it but she's like she has a notebook she's at the magic box she has like a notebook in her hands and she's like using a pencil and she's coloring she's scratching in just like Dark lines and just like in concentric circles, so that it just looks like this big, dark empty like depressing black hole black void that she's filling in, she's just filling in a page with graphite, you know, just scratching, 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 and no one notices you know no one's she it has. She's in so much pain and everyone is just... Giles is noticing a little bit. Dawn's noticing a little bit. Spike definitely notices. But everyone else is just trying not to notice, you know? Anyway, um, let's see what else. Then we get... So that sort of like overture, I guess, um, was all instrumental. We don't get any dialogue or anything yet. And then the first... Um, And then sort of, I think after the credits or is this this during the credits? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, The first song is Buffy in the graveyard and she's just singing about how she's going through the motions in life and she wants to feel alive again, but she doesn't. And that's the whole thing. And in a graveyard, she's singing about how she wants to be alive. Um, So that's the first number. Um, and I like just talking about like the quality of Sarah Michelle Geller's voice. Like they do use some auto tune on her voice, but I'm so glad that like all of the actors chose to sing their own parts because I think that it's in these types of situations, whenever it's not the actor, it's almost all, ob- it's almost always really obvious to me that it's not the actor that's singing. And that distracts me. So despite you know, like how good their voices are. I'm glad that they did it. I wish Alison Hannigan would have been braver about like, you know, singing some stuff too, because it just, it was clear to me that she wasn't comfortable in the like two or three lines that she actually did sing. (laughs) It was clear that she was uncomfortable and she wasn't really trying. And, or maybe that that's how I feel because like, I do, I don't like, I'm not a talented singer or anything, but I do have somewhat of an instinct for like pitch and tone and stuff like that. So like, I don't sound absolutely awful when I sing, even if I'm not putting in a ton of effort, but so maybe I'm biased in that way. Maybe her voice is just really, really untrained, but like, um, I don't know. Sometimes I just, I doubt Alison Hannigan's Acting chops. I mean, that might be controversial to say (laughs) like definitely she can turn on the waterworks, but I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) the quality of Sarah Michelle Gellar's voice is phenomenal in this. Like to me, it is obvious that she's not a singer. However, i think that she had enough of an instinct like the first you know like the first time i saw this musical i just thought wow sarah michelle geller isn't the greatest singer but that really works for sort of the affectless like sort of dead sound that like you know needs to come from her emotions right now because she feels so dead so disconnected from life but i now think that that was intentional she was intentionally um using that sort of like affectless tone that sort of like you know emotionless tone just in case you don't know the term affect um affectless and stuff like that just realize that's kind of a psychological term so you might not um know what that means but like Um, when someone is speaking with like no inflection in their voice and like no emotion behind anything, when they're just very, very even in their tone and very like, you know, no emotion, that's, that's speaking without affect. And if you've ever, um, been a person that's been experiencing like really extreme depression, or you know, someone who has, sometimes they can have, their tone of voice can be really affectless they can really kind of almost sound dead sound like they're in shock because they're not we're just i don't even know how to like imitate it really it's it's very i i had a friend who had um i don't know if it was like she survived an attempt on her own life, or if someone just found out that she was planning and she, anyway, I I don't know which, what the situation was, but I remember talking to her afterwards, whenever she was getting some help and she was just, she just, you could tell she didn't care about anything. She wasn't happy. She wasn't sad. She was beyond all emotions. She just, didn't give a shit and that's when you're without affect that's what that means um anyway (laughs) um okay where are we so she sings a song about wanting to be alive while she's in the cemetery dusting vampires um then everybody's together at the magic box again the next day and um they're theorizing about like did any of you guys burst into song last night and then they're sort of like theorizing as to what's going on and they're singing about it and Giles's very first theory is right (laughs) he's the first person to like put something out there and he's like maybe it's a dancing demon (laughs) no that can't be right but it is it's a dancing demon um and then have you guys those of y'all that have watched this episode lots of times in your life. Have you ever, it's almost like the Ghostbusters thing. You know, if somebody says who you're going to call, you have to scream Ghostbusters, right? It's almost like, this is like this, like every single time somebody in real life says the words, I've got a theory. <laughs> I always say it could be bunnies. <laughs> and, yeah, I just, I have to, you know, it's a call and response thing. You have to do it. Um, during that song, when they're all singing about like, what can't we face when we're together? That song. Um, Giles is kind of looking at Buffy. It's it's nuanced, but he's kind of looking at her like, you're saying some, sh-. it's almost like this is, you know how Buffy will sometimes launch into like inspirational speeches and stuff. This is the song version of her doing that in a, in a severely depressed state, you know? Um, so that was kind of a good touch. Um, and Giles is looking at her like, you don't feel this like you normally do, but then she makes a disarming joke in the context of the song, because she's, you know, emotionally intelligent enough that I, she probably picked up on the fact that he was kind of looking at her like, like you don't mean what you're saying you don't really feel what you're saying like your inspirational speech is not really working right now you know you kind of just like it's a subtle thing but she reacts in the song by making a joke about like you know it's do or die and then she says hey I've died twice you know <laughs> um where are we Oh, I think the quote of the episode, so Dawn comes back from school, which apparently she doesn't need someone to pick her up. She just shows up, which makes sense. Like you can walk everywhere in Sunnydale, right? So Dawn just like shows up at the magic box after school. And she's like, you guys will not believe what happened in class today. And someone says, like, did you guys all burst out into song? And Dawn says, I gave birth to a pterodactyl. And Anya just says, oh my God, did it sing? (laughs) So I think that's like the quote exchange of the episode. Um, There's the the whole like Willow and Tara getting a room thing where Willow or Tara sings to Willow um, and Willow just looks at her the whole time she doesn't respond at all it's very weird like just knowing the behind the scenes that Allison Hannigan was like refusing to sing any of this shit and she's not very good at just like reacting to things so they don't even show her that many times they just sort of show her like smiling every once in a while um but Tara is Amber Benson is a. An amazing singer and she's a dancer too she dances in the episode as well and it it was really fun to see like more of her in this episode because she's just so good and there were because this is like you know a big production they they definitely spent more budget on this episode than they probably did on a lot of other episodes in the season combined but um So there were a lot of outfits that were actually pretty great in this episode. So like deciding on outfit of the episode was kind of hard for me, but I have to give it to Tara. I have to give it to Tara. And in her, like, I'm under your spell um, number, it's like, it's sort of a sheer yellow and light brown kind of witchy under dress thing and then she's wearing a corset she's wearing an actual fucking corset (laughs) i'm kind of a corset snob just because i um for a while i was wearing corsets um under my clothes at work to sort of help with anxiety because the compression is helpful particularly for autistic people and so I know a lot about corsets cause I really nerded out on them for a few years. Um, so sometimes people call things that aren't technically corsets, corsets, but in this case, Tara is wearing a corset and it is like, a sort of a mint green, a little bit darker, closer to a spring green, but not quite, um, corset with some pretty embroidery on it. It's an overbust corset with, um, it's kind of Renaissancey with sort of like the squared off neckline and the, and straps. It's a very short-waisted corset. Like for, for some reason that distracts me. I like long-waisted corsets. I like corsets that like go over like the fullness of your hips, but this corset goes like above her hips. Um, but she looks great. She looks fucking fantastic and she's dancing and she's singing and she's got a little bit of cleavage and she looks hot and she's got her zigzag part back. Like, I feel like maybe she's had it this whole time, but I think she hasn't like she had that zigzag part when we first met her in season four, but I don't think she's had it in a while, but she has it throughout this entire episode and her other outfit of the episode She's wearing, like, whenever she, at the end of the episode, when she finds out about that Willow messed with her fucking memories, she is wearing, like, this gorgeous, like, yellow, like, sort of fuzzy sweater, and she's wearing another, like, brown long skirt, but this one has, like, a some sort of flower pattern situation going on. Anya the dress that she's wearing at the end of the episode is also really cool it's like a fitted it might even be denim but it's sort of a 40 style like knee length very beautiful like looks fucking great on her um yeah everybody looked good in this episode everybody was dressed well in this episode um Buffy's coat was also like in the running for like outfit of the episode I didn't like her, like her outfit at the end, like when she takes the coat off and you see that she's just like wearing like some kind of ugly red top and some like bedazzled fucking jeans. Like it's fine. It's, it's not super egregious, but I don't really like it, but I love her coat that she's wearing before she takes that off. and reveals the terrible outfit, the borderline terrible outfit. Okay. It's not that terrible but I really liked her coat I don't really know like the terms of how to describe it but it was kind of like looked sort of like pleathery like I don't know how long it was because I'm not sure if we see like a full shot to see how long the coat is but to me it looks like it might even be like a trench coat it might even be like to the floor um but it's got this shoulder detail that kind of like It sort of balloons out like a little tiny bit, but not a lot. Um, It's nice. She looks good. Her hair is amazing. Um, I'm kind of sad whenever she cuts her hair off like super short later in the season. But um, I really like it right now where it's sort of like sort of a golden blonde, not like a super bright, like bleachy blonde. It's like just like a golden, almost brown blonde and it's just gorgeous, long waves. This is probably the longest we've seen Buffy's hair. <laughs> like, why am I talking so much about this shit? Anyway, the point is everyone looks fucking great in this episode. Like Willow looks great in every episode in every outfit, except the last one. In the last outfit, she just looks kind of frumpy. Like it wasn't styled correctly. It was like a sort of higher waisted skirt that had buttons that came down the front And then she had like, uh, like a sort of a fur, fur trimmed, like fake fur, like Muppet, Muppety type fur trimmed jacket that was open. I think it just would have looked better if the jacket was closed or if her shirt was tucked in to the skirt. That would have looked nicer, but it just, it looked kind of weird and frumpy. Like they didn't really pay attention to like her styling because she wasn't singing or something I don't know but her dress whenever um Tara was singing the I'm under your spell song Willow's dress looked good they looked great together anyway (laughs) it's hard to enjoy for me personally just because I get distracted by like emotional turmoil but it's hard for me to enjoy sort of the like essentially this is a lesbian sex song right (laughs) And those did not happen in 2001, particularly on, like, primetime TV or whatever. Maybe it was, like, I think when it was on UPN, it was on late at night, maybe. But, I mean, particularly on television, you didn't see lesbian sex songs. And this was a lesbian sex song. But it's hard to enjoy it because you know what just happened. You know that Willow... Betrayed Tara's trust in a way that she will not be able to come back from anytime soon, and that taints this moment for me like I'm sure other people can forget that, but um, can suspend that for the moment and I'm glad if you're one of those people. I'm happy for you, and I wish that I could, but I can't. um okay, am I skipping over anything? I gave birth to a pterodactyl. Willow and Tara need to get a room. One lyric in that song, the I'm under your spell song that I wanted to point out, she says something just isn't right. I'm under your spell. Even in the like, when it was I'm under your spell in a good way. And that part of the song is like something just isn't right. I'm under your spell. Like, obviously, they knew what they were doing when they wrote I'm under your spell. But still guys I keep pausing so that I can smell my perfume (laughs) I just got a new perfume yesterday that's called Flor de Muerto um which it's just basically like marigolds I think is supposed to be the scent note and I put it on like right before I started recording for the podcast and I'm loving it it's subtle but it's it's good (laughs) if you're interested in smelling like marigolds Flor de Muerto by Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab. Uh just so you know, we do have a minty mug siding in this episode. Um <laughs> I actually wrote down. No one knows how to take care of their lava lamps. So Xander has two lava lamps on like the shelving that's like surrounding his bed. He has like a shelf behind his bed and a shelf on one side of his bed against the wall. And there's like two lava lamps. And for some reason this distracts me because I know how to take care of lava lamps. (laughs) I have two myself. Um, The thing with lava lamps, if you don't know how to take care of a lava lamp and you have one and you're wondering why it's always just not working correctly. Here's the thing. You have to turn them on and then you have to leave them on for several hours. Like there's really no point in turning a lava lamp on unless you're gonna have it on for at least six to eight hours. Because in some cases, depending on temperature and how big your lava lamp is and how long it's been since you've last turned it on, it could take two, sometimes even three hours before that lava is flowing correctly. And sometimes the lava won't flow correctly even after that long. And in that case, here's how you fix it. Most of the time you pick up like the glass part and you look and there's like a spring. The spring is supposed to go on the very bottom of the, the glass part. So you kind of have to like, tip it and turn it until you can get the spring to fall towards the bottom, which will only happen if everything is melted. Like if you're at that point where everything's melted, but nothing is flowing, it could be because your spring isn't against the bottom. So you just kind of need to pull that glass out, turn it around, kind of rotate it a little bit until that spring falls against the bottom of the glass. And when it does everything will start flowing correctly. And if you've done all of that, you've had it on for at least two or three hours, you made sure the spring is against the bottom. If it's still not working, you might have the wrong bulb, um, or it might just be time for a new lava lamp. If you've corrected all of those things. (laughs) Anyway, it distracts me in TV shows when you see lava lamps on in the background, because a lot of the time they're not flowing. And if you're supposed to think like in this particular case, Anya and Xander have just woken up and the lava lamps are on. So one has to assume that they just slept with the lava lamps on all night, which you also shouldn't do. Like have a lava lamp going for eight to 10 hours, but at that point you need to turn it off. Don't leave it on all the time or else that shit's going to wear out quickly. Um, I got, my mom bought me two lava lamps. Um, when was that? I think at this point it's probably been like four years or so since she bought them for me. And prior to that, I had never, I had just turned them on whenever I wanted to, and then turned them off whenever I wanted to. You know, I didn't know about like any maintenance or care of lava lamps. It's not like it takes a bunch of maintenance. You just have to know how they function optimally and do it that way like i just told you guys (laughs) but i i looked it up i was like okay this time i'm not gonna fuck up these lava lamps they're brand new i'm gonna look up how you're supposed to take care of a lava lamp i watched some youtube videos and they're in perfect condition after like four or five years of use (laughs) i've still never had okay sorry i'm nerding out on lava lamps now The original company that created lava lamps was called Mathmos, which is named after like a concept in, um, Barbarella, the movie. (laughs) And I've still never had an official Mathmos or Mathmos. I can't remember if there's an H in it or not. Lava lamp because they're only sold in like Europe. (sighs) I need to get like somebody that I know overseas to buy one for me and ship it to me they cost extra but it would just be cool to have like one from like the original company because they still make them and they look to me like they're probably superior to the ones that you can get at like target or whatever (laughs) okay no one's here for me talking about lava lamps for 10 minutes so let's move on (laughs) okay the whole like number between Anya and Xander. Um, I just wanted to point out that Xander doesn't really have anything shitty to say about Anya. Like he doesn't like that she has, you know, a sophisticated taste in cheeses and he thinks her toes are hairy. That's like all he's got for criticisms for Anya. <laughs> like, um, Just thought it was, you know, just in case you didn't know, um, the woman that is, like, singing about a parking ticket in the episode. She's, like, wearing, like, a yellow flowery dress, and she has blonde or white hair? Is it blonde or white? I don't know. It's very, like... That is Marty Noxon. That is the woman who is the showrunner at this point. She is the woman that you can blame for all of the trauma... (laughs) That season six causes us, which we haven't really been too traumatized so far, but it's coming. Um, but I really like her. Like, I think, I think she is probably the person that I would credit with a lot of my love for Buffy. Buffy. Because she has been, I think since season two, she was a major player. She was a major writer. And then she became a showrunner, like season five, season four, somewhere around there. I don't know. Um, Okay. Then we get Spike's song when Buffy goes to see him and he sings the, like, let me rest in peace, stop visiting my grave, that whole thing. And I really liked his... um, His dialogue before he starts singing when he's like, yeah, I've noticed what's going on. I mean, have you seen a 600 pound Chirago demon making like Yima Sumac? If you guys don't know who Yima Sumac is, man, good times. Particularly like look up on YouTube if you're interested. Okay, so how you pronounce or how you spell her name, Yima Yima Sumac, Y-M-A-S-U-M-A-C. So look up her name and Jinx Monsoon, J-I-N-X, and then Monsoon. So there's like a, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race lip sync where Jinx Monsoon lip syncs to Yima Sumac and it's fucking good. It's really good. It makes me very happy. Mom, I think even you would like it. Like remind me and I will put it on the TV when we're at your house next Thursday. Okay. Um, Tara's wearing the... Okay, so at one point, like, since Tara found that, like, little dried-up flower, she decided to, like, pin it to her sweater, and she was wearing it. And Dawn mentions, um, to Tara, like, I'm so glad you guys aren't fighting. Because, you know, Tara's really happy right now. They had some good sex earlier in the day, and she's in a good mood. And, um... Dawn's like, I'm so happy you guys aren't fighting anymore. I'm glad you guys made up. And Tara's like, We didn't fight? What are you talking about? And Tara's like, It's okay. Like I'm just I'm just glad you guys made up. Like you guys are perfect together, whatever. And Tara says, I need to go check on something in the magic box. And Dawn's like, Yeah, the fifteen year old can be left alone for an hour in her locked home, which of course she couldn't. <laughs> Cause as soon as Tara left, she got kidnapped. But it's not like Tara would have been able to stop that anyway um so that was Tara going to the magic shop to check on like what is this what am I wearing what's going on I don't remember a fight so yeah um she gets kidnapped just like huge props to Michelle Trachtenberg and like she does this whole ballet thing it's really cool I liked it (laughs) I don't know. And then my next note is Zoot Suit Demon. So this guy... Let me actually, like, be accurate and respectful for once in my goddamn life. Who is this guy that plays, like, the demon in this episode? Let me find that. Hinton Battle. So this person is fucking amazing, and I like him a lot. Um, His voice is so smooth, and, like, the zoot suit situation, that might not be what you call that, but it was, like, a swinging, like, you know, baggy swing-era suit, and he was tap dancing, and it was just good. I loved all of his scenes. He was very charming. Very charming demon. Charming demon. (laughs) Charming demon I liked him a lot um it seems like they're in the bronze why is it closed I don't know was there an explanation that I didn't see or did they show like an exterior shot of like a fumigation party one of those like old like b-roll shots from the first season I don't know we don't get an explanation for that unless I missed it um There's a scene between Giles and Buffy in the training room where um, Buffy says, you know, like, I I just really, I'm kind of nervous because I don't want this to turn into, like, an 80s training montage. (laughs) And it's, I'm, my reaction always is, yes, let it turn into an 80s training montage. Yes, please. Like, if we could get, do you remember the awesome training montage from the Buffy movie? Like yes, let's have it. I'm ready. Anytime. But um Giles's line was really fun so I wrote it down. He just said, "If we hear any inspirational power chords, we'll just lie down until they go away." <laughs> uh, and I just my next note was just Anthony Stewart head. Such a pretty voice. Like his harmonies in like the group numbers are just damn, like goosebumps every time and his song to Buffy that turns into a ballad or ballad turns into a duet between him and Tara is, I think it's my favorite number possibly of the whole episode because they are the two most talented singers of the group. I think Amber Benson and Anthony Stewart head and uh, just them singing together was just Oh, it was gold, man. I liked it, okay, that's all I have to say about that um, Tara finds what Willow did, so as like we're getting Anthony Stewart head as we're getting Giles singing to Buffy, you know about how he feels like he's enabling her that his presence is keeping her from really stepping up and. re-engaging with life and even though I would a lot of the time I would disagree that like I I don't think he's enabling her too much like I do think financially he should be helping to support her and I know that I've said that a lot so I will stop there but other than that I can see where he's coming from at this point because she is just sort of like pushing everything off on him. Every like emotional labor that she needs to do. Every like care of Dawn thing that she needs to do. She's pushing off on him. So in that sense, I do understand why he thinks he needs to leave. So, um, there's that. So he's, while he's singing to her, Tara comes into the magic shop. She goes up to like, you know, the, the secret witchy books that are off the floor she goes up there she finds the book she finds the lathe's bramble thing and she realizes what willow did and so then she ends up joining in with giles's song and they're both singing that they would love to stay but they can't they have to go they have to go And it's just, I just think it's just really beautiful because you know, it's two totally different situations. Like I realize that like musicals do this shit all the time, but I'm just not familiar with a lot of musicals, but like Giles is a father figure that needs to give Buffy space to figure out her own life. And he needs, he needs to stop enabling her. And then from Tara's perspective, it's a romantic relationship. She needs to leave because she's been betrayed. Um, Oh, and whenever Tara, the lyrics, um, the lyrics were like, oh, shit, I might be, I might have to paraphrase because I don't know if I can remember them exactly, but it's like, you know that I've been through hell. Like, how could you do this? How could you mess with my memories? You know, I've been through hell. How could you do this? I wish I could believe that it was just this once. Um, That really brought it home for me this particular time because It took me a second. I was like, what do you mean she's been through hell? Oh, because of her fucking upbringing. The trauma of Tara's upbringing when, like, her entire childhood, like, her, the men in her family, like, her cousins and her dad and her grandpa, I assume, you know, All the men in her family were telling her that like when she comes of age, the demon inside all the women in this family will come out and you will need to come home at that point. And we can help you, but only we can help you, you know, that kind of thing. It's like the control, the control I mean, it's not, like, you know, a mystical control of the mind in that situation. But it's a manipulation. It's a brainwashing tactic. And Willow did that to her. Like, I know I was angry and I talked about it last week. But, like, I think that this is something that needs to be repeated. Willow fucked with Tara's memory for her own benefit. Like... I almost feel like that's worse than like cheating on her or something like that. You know, she, can you imagine? Okay. Have you ever had a blackout drunk moment? I've had, I think two. Thankfully that is all, but it is awful. So the time that's memorable to me, memorable, ha ha. Cause when you're blackout drunk, so the whole thing is you're so fucking drunk that your brain says, okay, we need to batten down the hatches here. Like some shit's going down. We need to send more resources to like the liver and other organs. And it takes, essentially it takes away resources from your brain, which basically just means that you're not writing memories. Like your brain is not logging memories, which means that you wake up the next morning and you have a literal black spot. You're like, Oh shit. The last thing I remember is that's not a fucking metaphor. It's real. And maybe it's only happened to me once because like, for some reason I have in my head that it's happened to me twice, but I can only remember one instance. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It happened on my 30th birthday party. I remember the very beginning of the party. And then the next thing I remember is like projectile vomiting all over my bathroom after the party is over and Michael taking care of me and me just being emotionally wrecked and hung over for like two days. It was a wake up call for sure. But And like, you know, the rest of the night, I'm just like asking every person, like, what did I do? How was I acting? It's awful because you don't remember it. It's a dark spot in your memory. You know, like they tell me that I must have crawled in through the dog door into the garage at one point because they found me in the garage laying on the couch And the door wasn't unlocked. So I must have climbed in because we had like a, like a, we had a dog door installed on the door of the garage. And I guess I just wanted to get away from everyone. And I just disappeared from my own fucking birthday party. And people had to find me and they eventually found me in the fucking garage. So anyway, it's not really funny. But, um, just... I'm just like connecting to the fact that like if you've ever had a moment in your life where you had that happen to you and it can happen for different reasons. Like you can be blackout drunk like I was on my 30th birthday party or you can um, like if you've had a concussion or just other medical reasons for like your brain not writing memories and that means that you have a dark spot in your memory And it's so disorienting to like, not know, to not know what was happening for a chunk of time in your life. Like, even if you have vague memories of something, and I don't have the best memory in the world anyway, but even if you have vague memories of something, you have vague memories. You, you know where that time went, but if you don't remember where that time went, it's, it's awful. Cause you're like, Oh God, what was I doing? How was I acting? What happened to me? If you don't know what happened to you, even if nothing happened to you, but if you don't know what happened in a chunk of time, it's extremely disorienting. So I don't know if that's kind of what this feels like for Tara. Like, does she not remember a chunk of time? You would assume that she wouldn't remember a chunk of time. Cause it's not like the spell was to replace Tara's memories of the fight was something else it was to make her forget that they even had a fight which means she has a dark spot in her memory right and you know it's one thing to have a dark spot in your memory because you were a fucking idiot and you drank too much you can be like well I know exactly how that happened but in Tara's case not only does she have a dark spot in her memory potentially but she also is not to blame for it she doesn't know how it happened like can you imagine how? awful it would be to have like the person in your life that you're closest to that you're in a romantic relationship with that you love has could do that to you like oh that's awful that's just awful okay i'm gonna move on i swear (laughs) okay where are we dawn's in trouble must be tuesday Um, the whole thing where like the, the Pinocchio looking dudes that are the demon, the zoot suit demon guys, henchmen or whatever, they come to find Buffy and tell her what's going on, that Dawn is held captive. And so they have to go save her. And the fact that Dawn or Dawn, the fact that Giles takes a stand in this moment By saying that we're not going to go help Buffy right now. That she needs to do this on her own. That is just bad writing. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. Like, this is not how you're enabling Buffy. By helping her fight evil. That's never been the case. Like, no. But whatever. That's just a nitpick. Um, Where are we? Buffy sings while she's going to get Dawn. I want the fire back. Um, really effective. I love all of Buffy's songs. I mean, like two, the two Buffy songs, the one at the beginning and the one here at the end. And I also really like the Giles and, um, Tara song, but most of the other ones are just kind of like, okay, whatever, you know, they're fine. They further along the plot, which is good. Um, I loved the joke that like, whenever they do decide to help Buffy and they catch up with her at the bronze and they run in and Giles is like, Buffy, she needs backup, Tara, Anya. And in this case, backup just means backup dancers. It's cute. It's just cute. Um, okay. Interesting that, and it totally tracks with the emotional sort of, trajectory of the season so far that like, so Buffy is like the whole thing with this demon is that like, it's a red shoes thing. Um, if you haven't heard like sort of the fairy tale slash legend of the red shoes, it's, it's essentially that someone puts on these red shoes, like red ballet shoes and they start dancing. And at first it's just like magical dancing. The shoes are like, making this person come alive. And then it becomes an obsession and they can't stop dancing and they die because they can't stop dancing long enough to get the fucking shoes off their feet. Cause the shoes are like evil. Essentially that's essentially that's the legend of the red shoes, right? So that is kind of what's happening with this whole musical situation is that people can sing too long and spontaneously combust. So we see that happen earlier in the episode. And then um, the whole reason that the Zutzu demon guy wanted to get Buffy to the bronze was because he wanted to watch her burn. And so she's singing about being in heaven and God, I just love, it gets me every time. I just cry the the inflection, the way that it's sung whenever she's saying, I think I was in heaven. And like, just, it's so dead the way that she says it. Um, I don't know what the technical terms are in music theory or whatever, but just the way that she says it is so dead. And it's just so effective. Like, it just... And everybody's just shocked at this revelation. They're so shocked at this revelation that, like, she wasn't actually in, in a hell dimension that they pulled her out of, but she was in heaven. And that's why she's so depressed, because she went from being completely at peace to not being at peace anymore. And that's pretty fucking jarring, right? Anyway, so she's made this revelation to everyone, and then she starts dancing, which... I wish that this, like, because I'm just kind of a dance whore. I love choreography. Um, I love music videos. <laughs> I used to think when I was a child, my my aspiration was to become a music video director. You know, I wanted to be the next Florius Sigismondi. But, um, so I didn't really like the style of dancing, but the idea was that she was just like... She was dancing out of control. She was going to spontaneously combust because of her dancing. Would have loved for that to have looked better, but you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, apparently Joss Whedon didn't share the stage with an awesome choreographer to make that happen. I don't know. Anyway, so, um... She starts, like, smoking, because she's about to spontaneously combust with the frantic dancing. And everyone's just in fucking shock because of her revelation. No one's coming to save her. Spike has to save her. So, just remember this moment, Mom, (laughs) and anyone else, that in the future in the coming episodes of season six whenever I'm talking shit on Spike which I will talk a lot of shit on Spike (laughs) just remember this moment that he saved Buffy because no one else did everyone else was frozen she would have spontaneously combusted because everyone else was just so in shock at what she just told them and maybe we're Maybe the idea here is that the only reason why Spike wasn't in shock was because he already knew this information. That's probably what we're supposed to think. But it could also be possible that, you know, Spike's the one that really empathizes with her the most right now. He gets it. To a certain extent, Giles gets it. To a certain extent, Dawn gets it. But Spike really gets it. He gets emotionally, empathetically. He understands where she is right now. So that's why he was able to save her in that moment. That's why he was not frozen. But also he already knew this information that she wasn't in hell. Like he was pretty shocked whenever she first told him to a couple of episodes ago. Um, so he saves her. Where are we? We're kind of at the end at this point. I'm still confused, after all this time, after 20 years of watching this particular episode of television at least 10 times, I still don't understand, like, Xander summoned this demon, like, I don't, I don't understand. He had some sort of incantation that he said in front of this amulet, it seemed like he He knew what he was doing, but he never acted like he had any idea what was going on earlier in the episode. I don't understand. This sort of like wrapping everything up really quick by Xander saying, Oh yeah, I did it. I just thought it would be fun singing and dancing. La la la. What? I mean, I guess that tracks with Xander not really like taking responsibility for his actions because like someone earlier in the episode, at least one person in Sunnydale fucking spontaneously combusted because they danced, they danced their fucking lives off. (laughs) So is that death on Xander? I mean, not really, but he, if he summoned, but like, how does Xander, did he speak Latin in front of the books again? Like, I don't, it's just not well-written but whatever we already know Joss Whedon can't fucking write like plot points like he can write like emotional shit he can write character development shit some of the time he can write some funny jokes but he cannot for the life of him make plots make sense (laughs) okay so funny little moment they're having like the closing number and Spike suddenly was like like realizes like, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I doing this? So he leaves and Buffy follows him out and you can see that he's like frustrated. Like, why the fuck are you following me? And I, from Spike's perspective in this moment, at this point, he, with the exception of like either last episode or the one before, whenever he, he said a couple of little sort of emotionally manipulative, manipulative things to Buffy. With the exception of those little moments, he has not been emotionally manipulative to Buffy yet. For the most part. So from his perspective, I totally get it. Like why she keeps hanging around him. She knows how much he is in love with her and she keeps putting herself in his path. So I can understand his frustration in this moment where like, You know, I mean, he hasn't made any sort of, like, indication that, like, she's friend-zoned him or anything, like, gross like that. It's, but there are, like, emotional things to be navigated here. If someone has made it very clear to you that they're in love with you and you continue to spend a lot of time with them when they've made it clear that it's hurtful and difficult for them to spend time with you right now. You know, it's frustrating. I can understand it from his point of view at this point. He's like, why are you fucking following me? Just go back in, get your kumbaya-yayas out. Like, stop it. And then she just kind of grabs him and they kiss. First of all, since this is the first kiss between the two of them, with the exception of, like, that spell moment in season four or was it five i think it was four i don't know pretty sure it was four um, where they were like engaged in the spell because willow accidentally like why don't they just get married (laughs) um with the exception of that this is their first kiss well and also when she kissed him when she was pretending to be the Buffy bot. Okay, so it's not their first kiss at all, but this is their first kiss in this particular iteration of, like, they're both totally themselves right now. Their first kiss in that sense, I guess. Um, I hate the way that they fucking kiss, but that's the way Sarah Michelle Gellar kisses everyone. She does, like, this, like, intense opening and closing of the jaw thing that's just, like, it's so awkward. Like, she's a great actor in most ways, but I hate watching her kiss people. I fucking hate it. It's awful. Um, I kind of don't like... Do I like kissing at all? I mean, there have been a few kisses that I have really enjoyed <laughs> on television and movies but for the most part i fucking hate it i just do um i i'm yeah i'm not looking forward to the sort of the eating each other's faces that it always looks like when buffy and spike kiss i don't know do you guys like it is it does it look passionate to you is it me or does it look bad just generally let me know mixtress ray ray at ProtonMail M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E at ProtonMail my email is always in the description of the podcast episode as well let me know what what kisses what kisses on television and movies do you really like do you think the Buffy and Spike kissing each other looks really gross like they're eating each other's faces or do you think it looks good let me know I would love to hear your thoughts Okay, I really not said what any of the ratings are. Oh my god, I only had, like... I didn't even have a full two pages of notes. Like, I don't know if I was just off today or what. Or maybe I just didn't have a lot of thoughts about this particular episode. Hey, it's a musical. Hey, it was good. Um, hey, everybody's, like, you know, angsty shit kind of came out in this episode. Alright then. Object of the episode. Hmm... object of the episode Mm, I don't know I might just go with Buffy's like trench coat because it was pretty fucking cool and I don't really have a trench coat I have a lot of cool pieces of outerwear but I don't have a trench coat so yeah sure that'll be the object of the episode. Outfit of the episode, like I said before, got to give it to Tara. It's just, it's earthy. It really matches her. The fact that there's a corset, I always love to see it. Um, yeah, totally goes to Tara. I think most people would, would agree with me, right? Um, quote of the episode, like I said, it's that exchange between Dawn and Anya whenever she was like, no, I gave birth to a pterodactyl. And then Anya says, oh my God, did it sing? Um, MVP of the episode. That's hard to say because like, Hmm. You know what? I'm going to give it to Tara. Because not only does she look fucking hot in this episode, but like the confidence that it would take for Tara, knowing where she's come from, knowing the character development that we've seen her go through in the last two years since we met her, that she, I just, it's ballsy. I think it's ballsy for her to find out what Willow fucking did to her and for her to just immediately be like, nope, I'm done. She's ready to set that boundary. She's ready to leave Willow. And yeah, I'm giving it to Tara. Um, five by five. I mean, this is this is one of the top five episodes of Buffy, according to most people. Um, even I would... I would put it up there at maybe top 10, maybe top 20. Like, it's an important episode of this television show because it has a lot of production value put into it. They spent a lot of time and they really made it good. And it is good. It is a good episode. I don't think it's as good as Hush. I don't think it's as good as Restless. I don't think it's as good as... Maybe not even as good as band candy. (laughs) But it's a good one. So, I don't know. I don't really want to give it a five. I don't like giving things a five unless it's restless. (laughs) I think restless is probably the only thing that's ever gotten a five. Um, I'll give it a 4.25 out of five. How about that? Thank you guys for listening. Next week... What are we talking about next week? Let me get my flashlight out on my phone so I can see my calendar next week. We're talking Oh shit. Okay. Yep. We're talking about tabula rasa. So that's, um, yeah. Okay. I'll just, uh, yep. The pain, the pain is coming guys. (laughs) That'll be kind of a funny episode though, too. So we will talk again next week. Bye.